to our Locked On Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good evening, everybody. Locked On Browns, episode 178. Uh, we're going to get to, uh, you know, later in this evening, we're going to sit down and record again. We're going to go through the trades. We're going to go through the free agency acquisitions today. Guys, look, I know some of you are upset. You didn't you didn't get the, you know, the big name, the blue star guys. All of that's going to take a little time. And, you know, like I've been telling you, Browns fan, this roster is not as bad as people think. Well, we're going to break that down a little bit later with Pete Smith. Our guest here this evening, Mr. Fran Duffy from the PhiladelphiaEagles.com, part of the Eagle Eye podcast. Does X's and O's there, breaks things down fantastic there. If you're ever looking a little bit more about the game, I suggest you check that out and Fran's work. Also, his journey to the draft. Uh, Fran's getting late to the draft business this year because when you were working with the Philadelphia Eagles, obviously that job did not end until February 4th. So joining us here this evening, Mr. Fran Dunphy, I mean Mr. Fran Duffy. Fran, how is everything? Uh, it's great, Jeff. I appreciate you having me, man. Thanks. Um, for a little bit about the city, and Fran, obviously, you know, you the fan growing up, uh, you know, it's kind of got to be a culmination of things. I mean, it's one thing, like I know now, me, the more I get into this, you know, I remember, you know, Christmas Eve tweeting out, here it is, Christmas Eve, and I'm aggravated with the Cleveland Browns. For you, you know, obviously a team you're covering, you know, been a fan of, I mean, it's, I mean, could there be a perfect, you know, meshing of excitement as far as a team that you work for, you know, a team you work with, a team you've been around your entire life, everything just coming together for a moment like that? It really was something special, man, just watching what the team was able to do and what they've built. I mean, it's going to be really exciting to watch what they're able to do, not just uh, in 2018, but beyond, just because you, know, you get that quarterback and you build everything around it. You have so much young talent on both sides of the ball. Uh, it's a team that's built the right way, and I'm excited to continue to watch. It can uh, keep developing. And like you mentioned, you know, growing up as a fan, it made it, it certainly made it sweeter. But even thinking of all the rest of our fans, I mean, the – you know, I know you feel the same way about the Cleveland fans. I mean, when you guys do eventually win it, it's going to be really, really sweet. You'll think of all those stories you hear of uh, the lifelong fans. That's certainly what was the case here in Philadelphia. It was an outstanding feeling, uh, and I think it'll be something that'll last a long time. And I think one of the things that should keep fans happy is, I mean, you know, as far as you know, could there be more here? Obviously, you know, the moves have been made have you know been impressive to this point. But you kind of have, you know, your star quarterback who, yeah, he was along for the ride. But you got to think, Carson Wentz, with every day he goes to work, from now on out, it's like, well, yeah, you guys did it. But, man, do I so want to be a part of this. Oh, no question. You look, there are a few other guys that were on that same list. You know, Peters, uh, Jordan Hicks, just to name two, and there were a couple Sydney other guys Jones. in there as well. Sidney Jones. Yeah, exactly. Sidney Jones, no question. So. Uh, you throw all those guys in, and I think that chip still remains pretty large on these guys' shoulders. It'll, it'll be exciting to see uh, how they come out in 2018. Okay, we're going to get here. Uh, like I said, guys, we wanted to do some draft stuff. I know, I know this is another thing that Fran's passionate about. Um, Fran, as far as what Cleveland has done to this point, um, you know, I, I think they've done a good job. Um, you know, like I was telling you earlier, it's kind of hard to sell your product regardless, even if you are 131. It's just a difficult sell. Um, you have a head coach who's still there who directed 1-31. So, you know, any potential free agent saying, well, even if I'm signing here, even if I liked you or I didn't like you, I don't know how long he's going to be here. And, you know, you, I have no idea who the next head coach is going to be. So it's going to make it difficult from that way to kind of draw what you want to draw. Um, we got to start right at the top here. Um, please tell me you're not part of this fan base that thinks Saquon Barkley should be the number one overall pick in the NFL draft to the Cleveland Browns, friend. No, no. Uh, look, I, I'm a I'm a best player available guy, uh, Jeff. You know, I, I'm definitely a, in the camp of 
You know, you, you don't draft for need. You draft for the best player, except at the quarterback position. If you don't have the star quarterback, it, it's really, really hard. And everybody will say, oh, you know, Trent Dilfer, and, you know, they'll point to other examples of quarterbacks that, you know, weren't necessarily blue-chip players that led their team to Super Bowl success. But those are the outliers, and you don't want to have to bank on an outlier. Your, your, your team is going to be in great position to succeed if you've got quality play at the quarterback position. And uh, The best way to guarantee yourself that is to make sure you get one uh, and have your choice of the litter, and that's exactly what the Cleveland Browns have with the number one pick. And you know how this goes, man. I, I mean, you talk to people around the league, you talk to people that have been around the game for a long time, and the, regardless of how many quarterbacks are in the draft, when teams go through all of the preparation, and you're talking about meetings that go back through the fall, you know, the initial scouts that are in the building uh, on campus and then leading all the way up to, you know, pro days and private workouts and, and visits on, onto the campus uh, aside from the pro day and the combine, all those meetings and hours and hours of preparation and dealing and communicating with these guys, you start to have a relationship and you start to have a pecking order of exactly how you do them. Yeah, there's a chance that Cleveland may really love one or two of these guys, but you can't leave it up to chance. You can't say, you know what, let's take a chance and say that we'll hope our guy will be there at number four. If you feel very passionately that one of those guys is going to be your court, your franchise quarterback and the guy that's going to be able to lead your team to Super Bowl success, you've got to pull that trigger because it's more important than any other position in football. And that's why you see all the, all the numbers, all the money that's being thrown around the position as we get into the new league year and we approach that on Wednesday. And then you look at and even last year where multiple teams traded up in the first round of the 2017 NFL draft, three of them, to select their quarterback of the future, giving up future first-round picks. That wasn't by accident. That wasn't by chance because that position is so valuable. And so if you're Cleveland, you're sitting in the catbird seat, you've got to make that choice. As the, you know, Look at all these quarterbacks. Decide which one is the right one for you, even if it's not the Sam Darnold, who everyone thinks it could be, even if it's going up against uh, what most people think is the consensus pick. If, if Baker Mayfield's your guy, if Josh Allen's your guy, if Josh Rosen is your guy, whoever it is, you have to be, you know, be convicted with your uh, with your evaluation and make that make that call on draft night. I, I think really think that's what you have to do. And if you feel so passionately that you need to have Saquon Barkley. You have more than enough assets to be able to move back up if you really want to try and pry him away from the New York Giants or the Indianapolis Colts or whoever uh, would be selecting a two or three. You've got the ability to then move back up if you really feel that strongly about it. But otherwise, you can get another running back and feel pretty good uh, about a Ronald Jones or a Darius Geis, you know, even a, a Nick Chubb or you know, a Rashad Penny, any of these other running backs. You can still have success with those guys, but you need that quarterback. That's the number one priority. And this is like what we've been trying to tell everybody. And this is the best advantage in the world here for Cleveland. It's because you have one overall that you get your guy. And you still can walk out of this with Saquon Barkley, who's the best running back in the draft, at four. You can still walk out of this with one of the best defensive players in this draft, whether it's you know Bradley Chubb, whether you know Minka Fitzpatrick. You still have four in play. It, it, it's such a simple proof plan of what you do here. And now you don't even have another young quarterback on the roster. So that's been moved on. And look, everybody, oh, well, maybe they like the guys similar. Look, they could have the same tape grade on a guy, and that means one thing. But they could also have the meeting grades could be tremendously different. So there's so many factors here. And look, no, no, nobody's going to come with a list that says all three of them are tied at one. Something's going to separate yep. them. Everyone's going to have a little bit different 
you know, it's, you know, even if it's close, everybody's going to have their pecking order of one, two, three. Nobody's going to say everybody's the same guy, right? Exactly right. And, and that's what, honestly, Jeff, I think that that's one of the untold stories of the entire process of, of the NFL draft. You know, we obviously the film is is super important. You know, we go to the we talk about the All Star games and the Senior Bowl, the at scouting combine. They're all extremely important. What the pro day numbers are. Yes, they're all part of the process. But the part of the process that I really think gets undersold is the, the, the people factor, the person factor. You know, you talk about you know, how are they going to fit in the locker room? How do they take coaching? How do they learn? How do they lead? You know, all these other intangibles that we all just kind of laugh off and say, oh, yeah, they, you know, this guy, uh, you know, he's, a, he's a, a great guy in the locker room, and he, you know, or he's, oh, he's gritty, or he's like a coach on the field. That stuff matters. <clears throat> it really does matter. And you look at some of the, the players that are great, are that are the best at their position in the NFL, they have those factors. And then you look at the, you know, the guys, what that separates people that, you know, maybe they normally would be solid players. Well, now they're, they're good players because they have that intangible quality. And I think when you, especially at the quarterback position, you can't discount that trait. And I think that that is extremely important. I think it's something that uh, obviously gets taken into account. And really it shows up on, in those meetings. When they have those, you know, those private visits are already starting this week where you're seeing teams uh, bring in the top 30 players uh, on their board, and not actually on their board, but top 30 players to come in and meet with their coaches and meet with their scouts. It's an extremely important part of the process that at the quarterback position cannot be undersold, and I think that's really what separates those players at the top of the board, like you said. Um, and I, I go back to this one. I mean, years ago, uh, you know, the rumors came out that Geno Smith was you know, busy thumbing through his phone when he was supposed to be meeting with the team. And you, know, you can 100% look, I mean, I'm a father now. I know when I'm trying to have a conversation with my kid and the damn device is in their hand. No, you're not paying attention. So, I mean, you can understand how Gino ended up dropping for that and some teams soured on it. You know, the, you know, the investment that somebody's going to make in you monetarily, time, and the fact that if it don't work out, it most likely is costing whoever made the selection their job. So much needs to go into it. Um, that being said, Fran, I, I think, you know, I, I do think Josh Allen, talent-wise, maybe warrants some consideration here. But one overall, uh, you know, I, you know, it seems the consensus feels Sam is going. Me personally, if I was given the decision, I'm going to take Josh just because I think the throwing, you know, throwing of the ball and everything I need from my quarterback, I, I feel safest about him now. Um, Baker Mayfield, I don't want to sound look. I'm not a tall guy, so for me to bark a little bit, but my God, if he was an inch taller, I'd be all over it in a heartbeat. I would. But uh, if I'm going to put you in the chair here, uh, you know, make your case for which one of the three you'd be selecting at one for the Browns. Yeah, I think if I'm looking at the group, I, I still feel strongest about Sam Darnold. You know, to me, when you look at him and, and everything from the off-field uh, to what he was able to do on the field just in two years at USC, the film was not perfect this year, and a lot of people made a big deal about his upper body mechanics. Right, last summer, everyone talked about that long release and. You know, what it, how long it took the ball to come out, even though he threw with anticipation, even though the arm action was still pretty quick, the, the, the mechanics of it were still a little bit delayed. Really, to me, the biggest problem with him this year was his lower body, and I, yep. that, to me, led to a lot of his inaccurate throws. And look, I've seen this first person, how it can happen, or how it can improve. You looked at Carson Wentz in 2016, uh, especially late in the year, as the season wore on, you saw his lower body mechanics start to falter a little bit, and that led to some erratic throws. He came back this year after a full offseason of working through it, and he was outstanding. And he was so much more accurate this past fall in 2017 when he was healthy. And you just saw, you know, if you tweak those mechanics a little bit in the lower body, the lower body is a lot easier to fix 
than I think the upper body. A lot of people will talk about the release. I don't think you can really mess and change how a guy throws and completely alter that. But a low, with a lower body, I think you can really kind of affect that and improve that and tweak that to the point where it can improve what you're seeing, how the ball is coming out. So uh, that would be something, looking at Sam Darnold, you're talking about a kid who played both ways in, in high school. He's a high school linebacker. He's tough. That toughness showed up at USC. You saw how badly he was beaten by uh, some of those tough defenses he faced, not just in the Pac-12, but you know, watching the bowl game against uh, US, or against Ohio State. I mean, Oof. that defensive line got after the USC offensive line, and he just kept getting right back up, uh, made some great throws throughout the course of that game. He, he's just a kid that I feel really strongly about. But that being said, you may meet with a Baker Mayfield. You may meet with Josh Rosen or Josh Allen and say, you know what, maybe he's not as clean, but I feel really good about this guy. I've got a, a good connection with him. I feel like I can reach to him in terms of being coachable. He understands what we're trying to do offensively, uh, and we feel like he's the best pick for us. And that's, that's really what the conversation is going to be. It's not necessarily uh, about what the consensus is. It's about, you know what, this is the guy that we think gives us the best chance to win. And, and that's what's going to be interesting to see how it pans out for those guys. I, I still feel, based off of the work that I've done, that it's Sam Darnold. But uh, I've got those three, especially those three guys at the top for me, are Don, Darnold, Rosen, and Allen. Uh, I think those guys are really, really close in my mind. It's going to be interesting how it works out. And you know, from what we hear from most everybody is that you know, Darnold is the guy, when you sit down with him, He's the one that just you know he's the one that you're going to basically sell your soul for. He seems to be that guy, and it's not looking the fact that Josh Rosen is a very intelligent kid. It's not, that should not work against him, and, and, and it won't work against him. But sometimes when you just sit with somebody who feel it seems like football is what he is all about, and you know that's kind of the way you know you know that a lot of these guys make any decisions. You know, a lot of older they've been in their ways for a long, long time. So usually the football guy is the one that's going to kind of win him over as long as everything else checks out. Uh, guys, you listen to Locked On Browns, episode 178, Fran Duffy, PhiladelphiaEagles.com, Journey to the Draft podcast, Eagle Eye podcast, kind enough to join us here. Uh, guys, MLB is right around the corner, so uh, go ahead, check out Locked On Major League Baseball Network. Follow your favorite team. We'll have you covered by opening day. Now, Fran, moving on. Uh, they've, uh, it looks like Duke Johnson is going to get himself a little extension here which is fantastic. I think Duke Johnson in the role he plays is ridiculously good. Re- outstanding receiving back, over 73 receptions last year. Uh, I think a big part of the Browns' office. I don't know if they have any view on giving him a larger piece of the pie. It doesn't look like that. So with that being said, with everybody Brown-wise, with, oh, take Barkley at one, take Barkley at one, well, one of the things you love about Barkley is he brings you a great receiving aspect along with being a great running back. I don't need that here in Cleveland. I've kind of already got that handled. So this is what makes me look to this second tier of running backs. And I've got pick 33, and I've got pick 35. And so if it's a Ronald Jones, if it's a Nick Chubb, a Sony Michelle, a Darius Geis, uh, a guy I've been warming up to more and more as the weeks go on, John Kelly out of Tennessee, I need a first and second down back. I don't need necessarily a third down back. If he can catch, that's just added gravy. Uh, maybe highlight a guy or two here that probably should be a Cleveland uh, guy to target at maybe pick 33 or 35. It's going to be interesting, Jeff, just to see how this running back position pans out because I think you could make a case for uh, Darius Geis and Ronald Jones in the first round of this draft. And, uh, you know, when it's all said and done, we'll see if they do decide to, if they do go that high. But if they're there for the Cleveland Browns at 33 and 35, I think they're very much on the table. Darius Geis uh, is a guy, first of all, extremely competitive runner. 
Uh, you want to talk about a guy who can impact first and second down with his physicality, uh, a guy who's really decisive between the tackles, and again, just that competitiveness, that angry, mean style. Uh, he talked at the Combine about how he sees a lot of Marshawn Lynch in himself when he watches himself on film, and he can absolutely see that with the way that he runs. And I think he's got the ability to be that workhorse type of back uh, you know, on first and second down. You can hand him the ball and feel good uh, about what you're going to get there. And then you look at Ronald Jones, a little bit different in terms of style. You know, he's 5'11", he's 205 pounds. He's more of the explosive uh, downhill back that can, you know, can pick up yardage in a hurry. A lot similar, very similar, honestly, to Jamal Charles. And that comp has been thrown around very often over the course of this offseason and really going back to his sophomore year. Honestly, Je uh, Jeff, when I've watched Ronald Jones, he's one of the most improved players to me going back from 2016 to 2017. I watched him as a sophomore. And I didn't think he was always very decisive. I didn't think he saw things really clearly. He wasn't playing always as fast as he should have been. Watching him on TV, I watched a lot of USC on TV this fall, and I came away thinking, man, it looks like he's seeing things a little bit faster. He's seeing some of those big plays he's reeling off, uh, and they're at a more consistent rate. Not even just the, the 25, 30-yard runs, but the you know 8, and tw 10, and 12-yard runs. Then you go back and I watch the film, and you really see that he was really seeing things faster this year. Uh, things looked a lot more natural to him. He wasn't splitting carries with Justin Davis, so he really got uh, a better feel for it. And I, and I was really impressed with what I saw from Ronald Jones. I, I'm really excited to see what that kid can bring to the NFL. Uh, so I think those are the guys that you're talking about early in round two. A guy that I'm still a big fan of is Nick Chubb, and I know that he's starting to get a little bit more love now that he, he tested fairly well at the Combine. I go back to you know what he was pre-injury, and I thought that watching him as a freshman and as a sophomore before he got hurt, I thought he was going to be, he would have been right in that discussion with Saquon Barkley in my mind. He would have been in the top half of this first round. Uh, after the injury, you can tell that that left knee, he's still not able to get quite as much power, not as much juice out of that left leg when he's got to cut off of it. Now, is that physical or is it mental? No idea. All I can tell you is that uh, when I watch him, I still see a guy who's extremely instinctive, I like his vision inside. He's a really competitive runner. I mentioned that with Darius Geis. I absolutely see that with Nick Chubb. He does a great job picking up extra yards after first contact. Uh, extremely strong, and especially considering what he's got on that left side. The fact that he's able to shake off tackles at the rate that he does, I think, is very impressive. You just got to wonder, okay, what is his ceiling going to be? If he's able to get that leg back, you're talking about a Pro Bowl talent. If not, I still think he's got the ability to be a first and second down back, like you've mentioned. I think he can be that type of player, especially in a downhill run team. So it's going to be really interesting to see how Nick Chubb is viewed by the NFL once we get to April's draft. Well, I think what I like about Nick Chubb is I think Nick Chubb is, a, is smart. He's safe. He's going yep. to run the play the way it is designed. Um, I, I know a lot of people have brought up, you know, the fourth quarter. I mean, the fourth quarter, four-minute type of back with a guy like Nick Chubb. You give it to him three times more often than not. He's going to find a way to scrape you out that ten. Um, and, and the other thing is, I mean, look, it's just a great story. Um, you know, and I even remember the spring after he had gotten hurt. And you know, I think it was Barrett Sally. He was, you know, Bleacher Report guy. I think he's a uh, he's with Fox Sports now, covering college football. And he put up about him jogging on a treadmill. And I literally, I had a DM him. I'm like, did you just say Chubb was jogging on a treadmill? I mean, he's had like one of the most miraculous recoveries from what it could have been a truly catastrophic, catastrophic injury that, I mean, he just becomes, you know, we get these guys in every class. You know, obviously we have a Griffin in this class, Nick Chubb. There's certain guys that regardless of what's going to happen, man, the guys you just want to root for because maybe they had to go through a little bit more to get where they're at than some of these other guys where it came a little easier. And those guys always kind of tug on the heartstrings a little bit. 
Uh, one other thing we are starting to notice here is uh, where, you know, the defensive line. It was a very, very good defensive line for Cleveland last year. Where part of the problem arose is they were light in the pass rush. Uh, you know, we did not get to see much of uh, Manny Ogba and you know Miles Garrett playing together. When we did, it looked promising. Once Emmanuel Ogba went down, it was very, very apparent that the pass rush was an issue. It was only Miles Garrett who could really consistently get into the backfield and be a presence. Uh, I think this guy, you know, obviously whether Bradley Chubb is a name up at the top, um, you know, Harold Landry is a guy I'm a big fan of, but somehow, some way, I'm going to need to at least get another pass rush in here. And look, everybody's starting to love that NASCAR package. Everyone looks at what Jacksonville did, where they went through the rotation of eight, nine deep at defensive line. I need another guy here, and it might have to be a late first round or a second round guy who I can find to consistently get home. Is there a couple of guys that can fit that need? Well, this isn't necessarily the class for that, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> I, I know. Some, there are some intriguing players, and I think that there are guys that uh, have some upside for sure, but uh, it really just depends on what you want. And I, I honestly, to, to your point, I think that I'll, I'm going to be interested to see how John Dorsey and company feel uh, about Emmanuel Osla. Do they feel that he is a, a full-time edge guy, or do they feel that moving forward he'll be better off rushing from the interior? And we'll see how they feel about that based on the, the rest of the resources they spend on that position if they come on the interior or off the edge. But you know, talking about this, some of these edge rushers, you know, I think Harold Landry, I think he's going to end up going in the top half of round one. I really do. I think when you have a guy, first of all, it's a position where we just talked about there's a shortage of talent, number one. Number two, he's got all the physical traits that you want uh, from a you know an athletic standpoint. Um, he's got long arms. He's got the ability to win off the edge with speed. And that really the big thing with him is that he doesn't have a counter to that yet that is really reliable for him. And, you know, the Eagles... Uh, drafted a guy at 14 last year in Derek Barnett, which was who was very similar, and you saw him throughout the course of his rookie year really work to kind of work that in. That was something he talked about from day one when he arrived in Philadelphia. Was I got I have to come out with an inside counter, and it's something he worked in over the course of his season. And you saw him greatly improve there. I think Landry is going to face a similar battle, and that he's going to have to work on that inside counter, uh, something to be able to keep linemen on their toes, so it's not just speed, speed, speed on the outside. So. Uh, Landry's guy that really intrigued me. I just think he's not going to be there late round one. You start to talk about some of these other guys. Is Marcus Davenport going to be there? And what, if, what position is he best at? Because a lot of people feel that he's best coming out of a two-point stance and not necessarily putting his hand in the dirt. Even though he's a bigger guy, that's what he did at, at UTSA, and that's what he looks most natural at. When he came out of a three-point stance at the Senior Bowl and at times with UTSA, didn't always look natural. It was always a little bit hair, uh, a hair laid off the ball. Uh, Arden Key, relative, a lot of people thought it was going to be a lot for the top five. You go back and you watch his film from not just 2017, but even 2016, a little bit up and down. Uh, you know, the, the consistency wasn't there. Uh, the, obviously, he talked at the Combine about the, the crazy fluctuation in his weight from last offseason when he was away from the team due to, due to an injury. Uh, he said he got up to around 280 pounds. Now he's down to under 240. That's what he likes to play at. But... You know, you, there are, there are going to be questions there with Arden Key, and is that the kind of risk that you want to take? But in this class, you might not have a choice because, like I mentioned, there there's not a lot of finished product. You know, I, I'm a big fan of Duke Edgefor from Wake Forest. Not a guy that's going to be able to test because he tore his labrum, uh, and so he had shoulder surgery, and it looks like he's going to be ready just before training camp. So it doesn't look like we're going to see him run. Um, but you watch him on film. Not a great athlete but the kid just knows what he's doing as a pass rusher. He uses his hands really well. He's able to set up multiple moves, kind of the opposite of Harold Landry in that 
he's not the athletic specimen that Landry is, but really has an understanding of how to attack offensive tackles. He can rush from both left end and right end, and he's got the ability to win in a, a variety of different ways. So I really like that from Duke Edgefor. Lorenzo Carter, I think, is kind of a wild card. You know, he's extremely athletic, was used in a lot of different ways at Georgia, but the production wasn't always there. He was never a full-time starter, and he's just, he, again, he's not a he doesn't have a great plan of attack when getting after offensive tackles. You see flashes of it, but he's just not that guy that you can tell when he's getting ready to, he's six inches from contact, and you can tell he's just kind of making things up as he goes along there. Really intriguing player. I love his motor. He does give good effort but I think that he's going to be a guy that you're going to need to kind of work through and coach up to, in terms of being a pass rusher. That's why some people feel like he might be an off-the-ball linebacker. And that's kind of the, the theme in this class is that you have your athletic guys that maybe aren't finished products and may never be more than just sub-package players, and then you have your guys that, you know what, maybe they're not going to be viewed as ideal athletic starters in terms of the NFL profile, but you know what, they know what they're doing, and they're, they're going to be solid players, but maybe just not impact starters. So... Uh, that's really kind of what the bag is right now in this edge rush class. It's going to be interesting to see if we start to see them go a little bit earlier than expected because they're in such short supply. Well, and also in high demand. But I love that you brought up Duke Edgefor. Uh, he kind of actually reminds me of Calvin Pace, you know, the former Cardinal and interesting. I like that. and Jet. But you know, just produced well. But you know, at the you know, but never got anybody that overly excited about it. But he just knew how that well how to play the position that he was able to win a lot that way. Um, you know, you mentioned obviously with Carter. I, you know, Carter's getting those Anthony Barr type vibes. Like, well, look, it's great yeah. that you run fast. It's great that you're tall. It's great that you look the part. But if you're not getting home, I'm going to have to take you off the line of scrimmage a little bit, and you know, basically just let you use your athleticism to create your difference that way. Guys, you listen to Locked On Browns episode 178. If you're listening through the megaphone link, uh, now's a great time. Go ahead, guys, subscribe iTunes, uh, Spotify. Leave that five star review for me. Appreciate that. Um, now we're gonna, uh, you know, before we start wrapping up here, friend. Um, as far as your Eagles, what what do you feel? You know, obviously drafting thirty two. I mean, and nobody's gonna, you know, nobody's gonna cry for you with that, you know, with the Lombardi in the building. Um, what do you think uh, draft wise? What, what do you think this team is is looking to accomplish? You know, obviously the needs aren't that great in some areas. Have already, you know, started. They've kind of just shown what they want to address thus far. What do you think is important for the champion Eagles as they go forward? I, I honestly think they're going to stick with what's got them there, and, that, and that's going to be uh, going with the best players that are on the board. They're not going to force their hand and say, you know what, we need to go into this draft come and come out with you know, a pass rusher, a corner, and two linebackers. They're going to go in. They're going to let the draft board come to them. If they feel like they can move down or move up, they will. Uh, if not, they're going to stick with who the best player is on the board. We've seen that they definitely are placing importance on the trenches over the last couple of years. Uh, and that certainly served them well that during this championship run. The offensive line was really strong for them, and the defensive line was the strongest unit on the team. So uh, I would anticipate that you know, you'll know you probably see more of that. But I think, that this again, I think they're going to let the draft board come to them. It's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out, especially because they don't have a second or a third-round pick as we sit here today. So uh, with a, a less resources than we've necessarily seen from them in the past, so it'll be interesting to see how they're able to maneuver in this draft and what players they're able to come out with. Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, gun to your head. Nick Foles is wearing an Eagle uniform on opening day? <laughs> That's a good question, man. I, I honestly I couldn't even answer it for you. Um, but obviously he had an outstanding run. It was a, it was a lot of fun watching him work and come in. And uh, What a story with him coming back. And, you know, in terms of his – he was obviously drafted here in 2012, left and came back. And uh, it was a year ago today, honestly, on, on this Tuesday, that 
he was brought in and, and signed that two-year deal. And uh, I don't know that anyone would have expected a year ago today that he would have been the Super Bowl MVP for Super Bowl 52. But but here we are. Just an outstanding run for Nick Foles. Yeah, I mean, you know, the next thing, I mean, he could never play a down of football in the NFL, and he'll probably have a Rocky statue in Philadelphia somewhere. So, you know, he's never paying. <laughs> I'm sure it's already being halfway built at this point. Yeah, and he'll never pay for a cheesesteak in the city again. So, you know, if you got that going for you, that's a good thing. Uh, Fran, anything the guys should, uh, you know, listeners should be on the, you know, look out for from your work-wise coming up here in the next, uh, I guess, what is it, 40-something days, 45 or so? Yeah, no question. So I'm going to be starting a, um, a video series that will be put up on our, our social feed over on the Philadelphia Eagles. You can follow on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, you can also check it out, philadelphiaeagles.com. It's called Meet the Prospect. I'll do a video breakdown a day of uh, some of my favorite players in this draft. and um, you know that's, good. that's always a lot of fun. This is my third year doing it. I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, and then, like you mentioned earlier, the, and I've got the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Really, it's all X nose talk. Uh, each and every week. Not necessarily. You don't have to necessarily be an Eagles fan. You could just be a fan of the game. Uh, really, kind of talk big picture topics, whether it's player evaluation or schemes on offense or defense, uh, certain positions. And we dive into position specific topics as well. So uh, that's the Eagle Eye in the Sky, and then the journey to the draft uh, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. We talk heavy draft and a little bit of an Eagle centric look, but uh, certainly something that uh, is relevant this time of year, regardless. Uh, who your fa- favorite team is, and then also the College Draft Podcast with Ross Tucker. I'm on there yep. uh, every single week, and that's more of a, a big-picture look at the entire league and the entire draft. That's a year-round show, and uh, have a lot of fun with Ross every week as well. Yeah, that's absolutely one of my favorites, always in my rotation. But, guys, I want to thank Fran Duffy, guys. Uh, follow Fran, F. Duffy, at F. Duffy 3 on Twitter. Uh, check out everything at you know, PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Obviously, the journey to the draft, the Eagle to the Eye, those podcasts. You can check Fran, obviously, and what he does with Ross Tucker as well. Guys, follow the show, the at Lockdown Browns Twitter account. I do keep it a follow-back account. You guys have been able to provide as many great guests for this show as I've been able to dig up myself, so I'm always thankful for that. Follow me personally, at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. I appreciate you all for listening. Uh, we'll be back a little bit later. We'll get a little more deeper into everything going on here. But uh, as always, guys, let's go Browns.